What's up, everyone? John Void here with Noel and Void coming to you on this Wednesday afternoon. Happy late Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, I wanted to actually get this done the day after Father's Day, but a uh, little, little bit of a health concern arised, arose, arisen, uh, but we're all good now. Um, but let's get right into the uh, FSU football news. Uh, over the last couple of days, uh, PFF actually posted the total QB pressure, uh, pressures among returning players. Um, and as of right now, number one is Florida State with 240 pressures, Georgia with 227, Virginia 204, and Wyoming with 187. Uh, and I, I kind of wanted to to talk about this a little bit. QB pressures are interesting to me because they obviously mean that the amount of times over a season, well, this total amount anyway, over a season that the defensive lineman has came in and seemingly affected, you know, gotten close to the quarterback and affected uh, his, his, um, his time, his, you know, his availability in the pocket. So, Obviously, this is it, it's good. This can't be a negative, um, in my opinion, anyway. I, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that can see that. Oh well, you know, great, we got to the quarterback a lot of times, you know, close to him, but we never finished the the job. And yes, there obviously is somewhat of a you know distance there where you're like, oh well, you know, what does that really mean? But I mean, honestly, it means that we're close. It really does. I think it really means that we're that our line it can definitely be disruptive given enough uh, in the back end. I think a lot of that has to do with um, pockets being opened in the, uh, you know, over the middle and uh, the CBs not being able to sit back and, you know, really sit in coverage or hold their man for too long because obviously our, our DBs really didn't know what they're doing, especially the linebackers. Uh, so, I am intrigued by this number. I think the QB pressures means that we're definitely, we're like right there. We're, we are so close to our line being super, super disruptive. I mean, if they can do that with the, with the coaching carousel that they've received, granted Odell Higgins was a stalwart on the line. You know, he's been teaching that, you know, the, especially the interior guys for 30 years, but with all the other stuff going on and all the schemes changing and all this and that, I think this proves that our defensive line can be a monster if given enough stability and, you know, just that, that foundation. I mean, you got Marvin Wilson coming back and Corey, uh, Corey Durden, both are likely to the NFL next year. Marvin, especially in the top, uh, you know, top 30 picks. Some are saying in the top 10. So, I mean, you're right there. You're you're so close to having one of the best defensive lines in the country. Uh, DN's a little bit iffy, but still, I mean, there's plenty of you know of raw talent there. Kane Doe, for example, he you know he's six seven, two hundred and fifty pounds of raw muscle, just has a problem staying healthy. Uh, then you got on the other end, you got six five Janarius Robinson. He's you know about around the same two hundred and forty two fifty. Uh, of of good lean build, so I mean you're right there. I mean it's it's all right there. It's just you have to you have to get a little better technique wise and stay you know healthier. 
So I think this is a good thing. I think it shows, again, that Florida State is right there among the best of the best when it comes to the defensive line. Um, moving along, it looks like FSU running back or former FSU running back Anthony Grant uh, did, in fact, leave the team. Uh, fortunately, the Knolls still have great depth with Jason, uh, Jashon Corbin, Kalen LeBourne, Deontay Sheffield, Ja'Kai Douglas, uh, and Corey Wren. Um, Corey Wren especially intrigues me. Well, actually, technically, Ja'Kai and Corey Wren. I would love to know which one of them is uh, faster. I've heard both of them are extremely fast. Corey especially, he's been known as a speed demon. Uh, and now here's the thing with Ja'Kai and Corey. They're both smaller, round 5'8", five, 5'10", five, uh, really quick. But they are also projected to be more of uh, scat backs. So they'll line up in the backfield, but also line up a good bit in the slot. Uh, you know, do a lot of trick gadget plays, possibly, especially in Norvell's offense. I've heard that he does a fair amount of those. Um, and then you've got Jashan, Jashan, excuse me, Jashan and uh, Kalen, who both are more your traditional backs uh, that will line up every down and, you know, pound just through the middle. Uh, I'm interested to know what they do with Deontay because I think he could be a tweener between a, you know, that I think he's more of a scat back as well, but I think you could still line him up and do that as well. So they still have great depth. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Now, the one thing, you know, actually, you know who I didn't even mention, I, and I forgot to put, write him down in my notes is a uh, web. Um, I think it's Ladanian. I think it's Ladanian. Uh, I could be wrong. I, I don't have it written down in my notes. I know I know who the guy is. Uh, I've seen him on uh, social media, but he's from JUCO ranks, and supposedly he and he's around the five nine area, uh, five nine, and he's built like a like a small truck. He's just you know really good from uh, from what people were his coaches and things were saying. So he's another one to throw in the mix. Uh, he's definitely going to be. Uh, a factor because I mean, he's already proven he's been to the Juco ranks and obviously FSU wanted him. I don't know what his availability is. I want to say he's, he should be right. You know, I mean, he's Juco. So I would imagine he goes, he comes right in and plays. Uh, So he could be another one that comes right in and, you know, and just, uh, and, and just fuck shit up. I don't know what that means for Deontay. I feel like Deontay is kind of the odd man out here. Cause he doesn't really, he's kind of, like I said, he, it feels like to me, he's a little bit of a tweener. He can line up in the backfield all the time. And then also be a more of a scat back like Ja'Kai and uh, Corey. But anyway, um, I was really looking forward to Anthony Grant. I thought, I thought he was going to be something explosive. I thought he, he, he had a really good build he seemed to run with authority and still not really, you know, he didn't seem to be just a power back. I mean, he looked like a power back, but he definitely seemed to have that wiggle. He, he got a lot of good reviews and, and practice and things like that. And I, we've seen him run a little bit and he looked, he looked like a FSU running back to me. And I was really excited about him, but I guess uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but he is no longer a part of the team. Um, Another bit of news is West Virginia placed their defensive coordinator Vic Koenig on administrative leave after player after a player alleged in the social media that he has made a series of insensitive remarks, including against Hispanics. Um, this is relevant because we faced them uh, for the first game of the year this season, if there is a season. So them losing their defensive coordinator could be. Uh, 
could be something of note when we start the game. Who knows what kind of, you know, disruption that's going to cause on the, the defensive side of the ball, if any. So that is something to kind of put in the back pocket there for that game. Um, uh, moving right along, the Florida Board of Governors approved Florida State's plan for reopening in the fall. This coming from FSU.edu. Uh, this is a direct quote from uh, Thrasher himself, President Thrasher. We've we've talked about uh, flexibility numerous times. I'm very appreciative of that because, as you know, things are changing on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. Thrasher said what we're talking about today in our fall 2020 plan could obviously be very different when we start at the end of August. Thrasher also called on members of the campus and community to do their part by following the social distancing guidelines, wearing face masks or coverings, and getting tested for COVID. He also said that FSU will launch a public health education campaign, Stay Healthy FSU, to reinforce messaging with students in the community. Um, He says uh, from a a direct quote, I am a big proponent of individual responsibility and I'm going to really focus on that with our students when they come back. Um, so that is that's good to know that you know we're we're trying, you know, we're really trying to make sure that we're prepared for for COVID and, and figure out what we're, you know, what the plan is going forward. And like you said, obviously things can change on an hourly basis. Uh, but you know, it seems like, uh, you know, that FSU is doing all it, all it can to, to cover, you know, what they need to cover for COVID. Uh, moving on, uh, ESPN's Bill Connolly dropped his ACC season, well, his ACC Atlantic preview over the weekend. Uh, now, this is a rather long uh, take because, you know, he goes into detail a little bit. I wanted to read the whole thing that he wrote. Obviously, you can read it yourself, but I wanted to read it for those who, you know, again, don't have time or, or, you know, listen to podcasts specifically to get their fix right here in audio form. So I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety, go over it kind of like bit by bit if there's something I want to discuss, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Uh, So what he says is... Uh, talking about Florida State confirms all the ways in which writing a football-specific preview is all sorts of dissonant in this moment. New head football coach Mike Norvell's first offseason at FSU was, like everyone else's, derailed by coronavirus. Like most teams, the, uh, the Seminoles got in only a few spring practices before quarantine rules took effect. If there's anything negative uh, to affect on this team for this, you'll figure you figure teams with new coaching staffs will be hit the hardest. Meanwhile, when Norvell exaggerated the extent to which he had talked to his players about George Floyd's death and the preceding racial unrest. Those players, led by defensive tackle Marvin Wilson, called him out on it. A hasty team meeting seemed to quell the outrage, but the incident proved that this is a heightened time for awareness and coach-player relations are evolving rapidly. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a little weird to talk about football dynamics, but he, uh, but he says they're going to try. Norvell took what Justin Fuente had been building at Memphis and magnified it, his ability to cultivate a versatile skill core and create infinite number of winnable one-on-ones made the Tigers a top 20 defense per offensive S&P Plus for three straight years. Plus, with his hire of Marshall's Adam Fuller as defensive coordinator last year, his defense limped, leaped into the uh, to. 40th in defensive S and plus, uh, I believe if I'm not mistaken, this is not what he wrote, but if I'm not mistaken, it was in the seventies, closer to a hundred before, uh, Adam Fuller took over. Uh, he then continues to say that Memphis won 30 games in his last three years and jumped to 17th in overall S and P plus in 2019. Uh, I want to stop there for a second. Talk about that. I think that is exactly 
what uh, the you know the resume that that FSU looked at whenever they you know obviously decided to hire Mike Norvell. Um, Memphis is a uh, arguably a very very hard place to win uh, with the recruiting landscape of Tennessee and things like that. Uh, being the big brother and, and being able to get all the good recruits in the area. So it's very hard uh, from what I've heard to be able to cultivate a program in Memphis and Justin Fuente obviously did a good job. And then Mike Norvell took that to another level. Um, and I mean, the, he's been, he's been building upon building every year. And uh, it, if I'm not mistaken, that was their first, because they just literally just won the uh, this past year won their their conference title, and I think that that had been a while since they had done that. I think it's been since the '80s or something like that. So he he kind of just remade that uh, that program into something even better that was left to him, even though Justin Fuente had got it really rolling. Um, and then he went ahead and hired Adam Norvell or Adam Norvell Adam Fuller as a defensive coordinator, and that defense just you know, popped on paper from, I believe from the seventies to the forties. Um, I should have wrote that down and that's why this is a second tier podcast. <laughs> Great. So his defense was, was competent. If we can get Adam Fuller's, you know, if that's, if this is what we're looking forward to, that Adam Fuller only improves. And so does Mike Norvell. If we can get to respectable levels, I the rest is going to take care of itself. If if Adam Fuller can get anywhere close to that, to 40s and 50, you know, uh, ranked defense, and then Norvell can do the same with you know the offense, get it respectable, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, somewhere in that range. You know, I I think that the recruiting, you know, Mike Norvell's uh, obvious penchant for you know for recruiting. I, I, it's just going to take care of itself. It's Florida State, you know. It's got all the titles and things that you know that people, the, the tradition that people, uh, that recruits are looking for. So if they can get this next year to a respectable level, recruits are going to come. That's I'm not worried about it at all. This is just only reinforces that. Uh, Bill goes on to say Norvell inherits a team that is now on its third coaching staff, fourth offensive co- coordinator in four years. But he and offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham should have a lot of fun with versatile talents like receivers Tamora and Terry and DJ Matthews and running back and Texas A&M transfer Jay Sean Corbin. The line, a total nightmare in 2018, still isn't uh, incredibly proven, but shouldn't be disastrous. That's true. We're actually going to talk about the O-line later. Uh, quarterback James Blackman development has been hampered significantly by all the turnover. He has shown upside in part of three season. He's thrown for 5,000 yards and has produced a passer rating of over five, 158 times. He's still somehow a junior and has time to develop. If he doesn't, Norvell signed a pair of freshmen, including blue chipper Chubba Purdy, who could get a shot. In the past two years, the Nulls have fallen from 6th to 61st in defensive SP. Uh, youth and injury conspired against them in 2019. 25 players ended up taking at least 100 snaps, and 19 are scheduled to return. Experience combined with full-strength versions of Wilson and, and Joshua Kando, safety Jaden Lars Woodby, could result in solid improvement for Fuller, who followed Norvell to town. Sophomore linebacker Mark Gaynor could be a star, too. That is true. I'll talk about that for a second. They had you know, some really bad luck in 2019, so... Norvell could be walking into a gold mine of sorts 
I know that sounds crazy, but they could be actually walking into a better, you know, a better team than what Willie had the past couple of years. Um, just with luck and, you know, the, the talent that, that, that they have brought in. So I honestly think that Norvell could actually see a decent year this year. If he, if he's even half of what he's advertised to be, uh, I would not, I, I mean, I honestly would not be surprised if he was able to get eight wins this year. I'm, I'm just being honest. I think, I think Norvell can do it. I wouldn't be surprised. 10 years would, uh, 10 years, 10 wins would be very surprising, but eight wins, I think, would be on par for expectations. If he can at least get seven wins, I think people would be okay with that. It's not great, but I think seven wins would, would show, you know, hey, he's got he's doing something. Uh, six, six wins to me would be I, – I hate to say it because I don't want to sound ungrateful because obviously we've had like five, you know, win – we had like five wins a couple years ago. Uh, but I think with this, you know, with the, the landscape of the ACC right now, I think that if you're only getting six wins with FSU's talent, I think that's a loss. I think that's a bad year in my opinion. So if we only make it to six wins again, I'm going to be disappointed. I don't think it, uh, I don't, I don't think it should, that's where we should be. Uh, even, even with the, you know, all the stuff that, that was going on last year. So seven wins on par, you know, that's probably right where we should be. Eight wins would be an improvement in my book and I would be happy with that. Um, 10 wins is, is just lights out. You know, that's him knocking it out of the park and the team just showing massive improvement. Uh, so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, in the past two years, oh, I just read that. So because of the experience in solid recruiting, SP Plus projects FSU to improve a good amount and six games against teams projected 62nd or worse should assure bowl eligibility. So see, that's, I didn't even, there you go. So six, they're saying six game, uh, six wins should be what they get. Um, so an S&P plus actually gives Knowles a nearly one in three chance of going nine or three or better. At least that's how they'd be projected in a normal plane of existence. And that's the end of it. Uh, that's the end of what he, uh, what Bill wrote. But so I didn't even read all of that. And I just, I, so I was kind of backed up a little bit by what, what Bill was saying. He, he says nine wins would be, you know, would be kind of like a really, you know, really good, good year. Um, because that's that's what they're saying. The numbers saying that he they, they could they could really get to one and three chance. So I'm saying ten. They're saying nine. I think ten would be would be massive. Nine for them would be massive. Six wins is what they're projecting for FSU would be what this team should be able to to get to. Seven is the is the baseline for me. You got you got to get seven wins. Eight wins would be an improvement, and ten wins would just be. I mean, nine or 10 wins would be really just really great. I'd take nine wins. I'm not going to lie. Um, so going on to the next piece of information, Keyshawn Helton is actually one of those bright spots. Uh, he's third among active returners in the ACC with 24.9 yards per return, um, career average. Uh, honestly, I don't know what to think about this. I'm not a... Uh, a stats guy like I, I can't I'm not like oh wow look at the stats like these are amazing numbers and like blah blah like I can tell from like you know oh that's really like 
I'm a, I'm an average Joe. I understand numbers. I get that, you know, hey, if you got a freaking six, you know, five to six uh, yards of carry running back, you're doing pretty dang good. Uh, you know, things like that. But like 25 yards is if you just, you know what I mean? Like if you just wave your hand in the air and you take a knee in the end zone, that's what you get on kickoff. Like that's that's kind of where you are. I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like it's that impressive. I'm probably not, a, you know, accounting for something. And I'm, I, you know, if you guys want to take me to school over that, I would love for you guys to, uh, to let me know. Cause I don't get it. Um, I mean, I know they're not saying like he's some kind of Superman or anything. Cause he's third among active returners, but it just doesn't sound like anything worth mentioning. Um, 25 yards is what you get when you wave your hand and take a knee in the, you know, in the backfield with the ball. I mean, that's, it's like starting position. So, um, yeah, but on a lighter note, Keyshawn is an amazing player. He's from the Pensacola area. It's where I live. So I'm always going to root for him, especially, uh, I think he, I think he does amazing things with the balls with the, uh, with the ball in his hand. So I'm excited. I'm really, really excited to see what, he's going to be able to accomplish this season, especially coming back after, you know, tearing all those ligaments in his knee. I think he's just, I've from everything we've heard from the practice reports and, and things like that. I, I think it's going to be really, really cool to watch him fly this year, especially Norvell's offense. Moving on, uh, Perwarchant.com. Uh, this is with Corey and Aslan talking about this from Warchant.com, talking about uh, Memphis finishing seventh nationally in special teams. And I just want to kind of to to go over that just a little bit and how important that would be this year. Um, this obvi- they got these uh, this, the stat from uh, from PFF Pro Football Focus, and they were just talking about how that would be a big you know, a big step for us. And I concur. I think that this is a, you know, it's not talked about a lot. It's, it's definitely been talked about. It's not like this is some secret, but if Memphis can bring that mentality over to FSU, I think that's a couple wins right there. I mean, I wish I, again, this is another thing that I didn't write down. I should have wrote down where we were, you know, the last couple of years, but at one point I heard 130th. And that's like right there at the bottom. I think there's like 132 teams. So, I mean, seventh nationally in special teams, they were getting like uh, one kickoff, uh, one kickoff return, um, one kickoff return, like, uh, you know, an actual return, six points the other way, like once a game. Uh, you know, that's like, like what it was equating to almost. It, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that, that the way that their special they set like a like a three year record like for getting a a, uh, a a touchdown you know a kickoff return and like see again I should have wrote this shit down. This is why this <laughs> this is why I'm an amazing podcast uh, host to be able to to get touchdown returns or uh, kickoff returns that would be amazing. That if you can do that, if you can get in the top ten in special teams, that's got to be worth at least, you know, one or two extra wins, especially the close ones that we get into. So, if they can bring that mentality over to, uh, you know, over to FSU, and and we can figure out how to get our special teams to really, you know, function well, because we got the players, we definitely have the players. I mean, we got speed. 
you know, Keyshawn Helton I just spoke about. I mean, he can definitely take it. Uh, and there's other people, you know, Corey Wren that's coming in. He's a speed demon. Ja'Kai Douglas. I mean, there's there's all kinds of, you know, players that have the potential to be able to to really take that ball back to the house. DJ Matthews, for crying out loud, he's a good uh, returner. I think he, you know, he might still be the uh, the starting punt returner. So I just wanted to touch on that real quick. If they can bring that type of, you know, of mindset, that special teams, because, I mean, Norvell talked about this in all of his, you know, his little pressers and things like that leading up to everything, you know, how that they're going to put an emphasis on special teams and it's the backbone. And I really believe that too. I really do. I, I think that special teams is important. Um, I know a lot of other people do too. And I think that it would really give us a good chance to have at least one or two more wins, one win, at least, at least if you can get into the top 10 and, uh, and special teams. So let's, let's hope for that. That would be amazing. That would be super, super helpful this year. Uh, and now we're going to move on to the position group discussion, the little segment that, you know, that we're doing every time. Um, we talked about quarterbacks last this time. We're going to talk uh, more about uh, the O line uh, coming from the official FSU roster. This is what we have right now. Uh, Baby on Johnson, um, he's a redshirt senior, Maurice Smith. He is a redshirt freshman. Dante Lucas is a sophomore. Zane Herring is a freshman. Devonte Love Taylor is the transfer. He is a redshirt senior. So he's got one year, I guess, left. Uh, Brady Scott is a redshirt senior, uh, junior, excuse me. So Andrew Rosselli is a redshirt senior. Um, Jalen Goss is a redshirt sophomore. Robert Elder, I didn't even know he was on scholarship, is a redshirt sophomore. Chaz Neal is a redshirt sophomore. Jay Williams is a redshirt senior. Darius Washington is a redshirt freshman. Ira Henry is a redshirt freshman. And then we also have three other offensive linemen from the freshman class coming in. Robert Scott, Thomas Schrader, and Lloyd Willis. They have not been added to the official roster yet that's just a matter of time everyone was accounted for that i'm aware of i think the only person that didn't make it was the um was the dft manny rogers went juco so they should all be there ready to go they just haven't been added for their numbers yet uh and i you know we're going to talk a little bit about this position because this is arguably or inarguably, this is this is the the, <laughs> the worst position on the football team. So this this particular group has been shredded by inconsistency. Um, I think that every single person on this uh, on this line has the potential to start D one, but and I <laughs> that's an unpopular opinion because uh, you know if you've seen the if you've seen. The play, you would say, there's no way these guys are D1, and you would have an argument. I'm not. I'm not denying that. I'm just making the the devil's advocate argument that these guys have seen so much instability and just just unrest within the program. I started with Jimbo Fisher. You know, he was leaving basically, and you know all that stuff. They stopped recruiting. They stopped coaching. You know, like they were. I mean, they stopped going to class. You know, things were getting really lax. 
you know, I remember watching that, uh, I think it was what the, the year before or so before everything, all the rumors and stuff with Jimbo happened that, you know, they were doing the, uh, they were doing the documentary and, you know, the one where they were showing the season, you know, the whole season for season for FSU. I forget what that show is called. Uh, but, and he was walking up to Derwin James and he says, what's going on? What, why, you know, do I, do I, did I lose the locker room? Like he was asking what's going on with the players. And, um, that, that really, you know, that, that was for body, uh, for bodying. It really showed that he just, he was just giving up on these guys and just didn't, didn't really care about the program anymore. I mean, with all the stuff that was going on, we heard that they weren't going to class and, you know, just the, the lack of, of oversight on the football team was just piss poor. Um, and that's really sad coming from a national championship coach um, who, who was by all accounts, uh, you know, supposed to be this like almost dictator type guy who really had his hands on everything. So it was just a little jarring to know that he just let everything go. Uh, so I really think that everybody that was recruited can play and can do a decent job. Just their, their egos are shot. They're like a, they're like the James Blackman's of the, of the offensive line. They're just, their, their self-esteem and, and their technique has been all messed up. They're trying to remember stuff that they learned two years ago. And then every, every year there, you know, there, it changes Alex Atkins, the current offensive line coach is just, I'm sure he has noticed what, an unimaginable amount of information has been thrown at these guys. Um, so I really do believe that this, this, these group of men could be an average offensive line if they had been given stability and a good, a good coaching staff like it. They seem to have be, you know, just, they seem to be have getting now to be getting now uh, from Mike Norvell, you know, just the, the closeness, the, you know, the, the organization skills, because apparently that wasn't happening with Jimbo at the end. And it definitely wasn't happening with, uh, with Taggart. So having that been said, I think that every single person, like I said, every single offensive lineman here could start uh, D one somewhere. Now, if we want to talk about, you know, who should start, I don't know all, every single you know, PFF grade for all of these guys. I don't know, you know, what, you know, who's got the most pancakes, if any, or, you know, who's got the most sacks allowed, whatever. But I can tell you the ones that stood out to me and the ones that I think that are going to end up starting. Um, right. So we're going to go down from, uh, from center and then work our way to right tackle and then work our way to left tackle. Um I think uh, right tackle is going to be the, the transfer. Devontae Love Taylor. Uh, beside him, I think that uh, that the retro freshman Marie Smith gets a start at right guard. Um, let me stop real quick and make sure that I kind of talk a little bit about each one. Devontae, I think, is just he, he brings experience and they need that on the right tackle side. Uh, he's from he's the FIU transfer, and I you know he's gotten a better grade from PFF than all of these other guys, um, you know, season wise. So I believe he's going to be your right tackle. Um, I believe that Maurice Smith, like I just said, is going to be the right guard. And that's because he seemed to have really gotten some good reviews and seems like a strong, hell of a strong kid, uh, just great worker. And uh, I'm banking more on his potential rather than 
uh, his show right now. Uh, for the left guard, I'm going to go with Dante Lucas, uh, providing he's healthy and everything. He's just a mauler. He's a he's a dude. You know, he's ready to go. He's you know we saw that he can he can block, and he's only going to get stronger. He's only going to get more uh, you know more experienced. So I think he is a no brainer at left uh, left guard. At center, I think it's going to be Brady Scott. Call me crazy. I know. I know he started and did really good at uh, left and right guard. But I think Brady Scott would be a, a great center. I really do. I think he. Uh, I think he's got the versatility. He showed that he has the versatility. He kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of Cam Irving, just in the way that he's a utility man. And it seems like you know he wasn't great by any means as good as uh, as Cam Irving was at left tackle and stuff like that. But he shows that he is smart enough to handle all of the positions, at, you know, and at least they're comfortable putting him out there. They thought enough of him to put him out there because they thought that, you know, he was he's pretty smart and, and could at least know what to do. Um, he was just overwhelmed by, you know, by just all of it, and I don't blame him. So I think center would be perfect for him. Uh, he's probably not going to be center. That's probably my just wishful thinking. I just project him to center because I think he would be a great, smart center. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of Stork from back in uh, Brian Stork over there, the championship team. So if he didn't get the start, which you know, again, I don't think anybody is really projecting him to center. But if he if he didn't, you know, because it's probably what's going to happen, I would say that uh, Baselli, Andrew Baselli, is probably going to be the center. He's uh, he's serviceable. He's a little smaller, but uh, definitely he's got the stock for it, and he he's smart enough. He seems to really know what he's doing. Bavion has. I was hoping for Bavion to 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 really get because he was like the number one center coming out of high school, but he's just not shown <clears throat> enough kind of kind of snaps are a little problem you know his snaps aren't that great and just seemed to get overwhelmed so i was hoping for Bavion. he seemed like he was a really really stout uh guy just seemed really cool really uh you know just highly regarded coming out of high school um looked strong but i'm thinking it's brady scott and then andrew baselli and then Bavion at center so if those are the if i if you know if i had to since you know we don't know if brady will actually get a shot there um, but, uh, it right, uh, excuse me. So I already talked about, uh, Dante Lucas being at left guard. So I actually went back, uh, and accidentally did left guard before center. So center has already been talked about with Brady Scott. Let's go all the way to the freshman over there. Now the red shirt freshman at left tackle Darius Washington. So it's really, really interesting. I'm hoping that he is the next rod. Um, Rod Williams, um, big Rod, as it were. Um, yeah, Darius, he did a, he did a, he did a pretty good job for a freshman. I think. I don't know if he got like a crazy, um, you know, grade. Like, cause I think it wasn't, you know, anything like, oh wow, this guy's a, a huge upgrade. But he definitely was the best left tackle in my opinion, and I think the numbers prove that. Um, so I think Darius Washington is going to be your left tackle. Um, another one that that's interesting for um, that somebody who could surprise is Ira Henry. That dude, was, he just looks mean. He looks big and mean. You know, he's a freshman from last year as well. He didn't play any, but 
if you looked at him, you know, you're just like, wow, that guy's built. He, he looks like he might be ready to go. And, you know, I, I can't disagree. I think Ira could surprise and end up playing somewhere playing, you know, he could be a, a, he could end up being the, um, the right guard over Maurice Smith. If, if he, you know, if that frame continues to pull out, pull out, uh, to fill out and really, really do something. So, Watch out for Ira Henry. Then, of course, you got the other three freshmen, Robert Scott. He's a, a offensive tackle, and so is Lloyd, Lloyd Willis. Um, they were both projected to be offensive tackles, but I don't think they're ready. They don't, from all accounts, they're, they're raw. So we're going to go with those five. So Maurice Smith, right guard. Dante Lucas, left guard. Devontae Love-Taylor, right tackle. Brady Scott for center. And Darius Washington for left tackle. That's what I got for this position group. They need to really, they really need stability. And I think those starting five give them the infusion of talent and experience and a little bit of youth, obviously. But I think that's our best, our best bet right there, given, you know, providing any big, huge surprises, like I said, from Ira Henry or somebody, something, somebody like that. Uh, now we're going to get down to uh, the end of it here with the tweets of the day, stuff that, you know, seen on Twitter, just some things that to, just to mention, you know, uh, Corey Wren, the speed demon that I was telling you guys about that you guys already know about probably, uh, dude's just fast and he's, he is confident. Uh, a dude called Roll Tribe Odin, Odin, Odin at I am call you said he, uh, he added, he, uh, he was talking to Corey and he says, anyone on the team challenge you to a race yet, bro? And Corey wrote back, no, sir, but the time is now to step up calling out the whole ACC. Uh, you know, he's laughing with the, with the laughing with the tear emojis there. He wants to, you know, he wants, he's saying he'll race anybody. So I, apparently this dude is, is just fast. He's just super, super freaking fast. So he might be in, you know, in that he kind of reminds me a little bit of that uh, mold of uh, of Kermit Kermit Whitfield. Got it, took back a uh, took back a touchdown in the national title game. You know that guy. Um, I really, 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 really think that uh, that he has a chance. I think Corey Wren's got that nice. He's got the he's uh, he's got that vibrato he, he's got the uh the the numbers apparently you know everyone knows he's fast uh, i think he could be the next Kermit winfield i'm gonna say it. i'm gonna say it. i'm not trying i'm not gonna you know not gonna jinx it not jinxing at all but i think he could be i think he could be really hopefully he does a little bit more than than kermit kermit did a, a decent job you know definitely was uh, accounted for because he, he got his touchdowns and, and definitely helped us win that national championship. He just wasn't as impact. See, I, when I, I remember whenever Kermit Whitfield came into the, uh, into the team, I was like, Oh man, this guy is like, supposedly they, they were talking about just like this guy. He was super fast, just freaking just football player with speed, you know? And everyone's mentioning now with, uh, with Corey uh, Tyree kill who interestingly enough, almost came to FSU, but they're mentioning Tyreek Hill, who, uh, you know, was on the Chiefs, and he's just, he's lightning in a bottle. He, you know, everyone knows Tyreek is one of, the, if not the fastest player in the NFL. So he, if he can get anywhere, you know, if he can be as good as, as Kermit, I would be happy. But if we can get him to be somebody that, um, kind of turn him into something like uh, Antonio Gibson or whatever from Memphis that Norvell had and just turned him into an all, 
<clears throat> all yard, you know, machine, that that would be even better because the dude can just flat out run. So I would be very, very happy with that. So I can't wait to see what Corey does. Uh, and then we have uh, the the offensive uh, lineman that we just uh, got committed a couple, what was it, a week ago or so? Uh, Brian Estes. Uh, he's over there just, uh, you know, he they put out a, a tweet. He put out a tweet of himself just just flinging 350 pounds like it was nothing three times in a row just just deadlifting it um and clinging it so i you know obviously you need to be able to be strong to be on the offensive line but just the way he was just flinging 350 you know pounds around uh it it was impressive i will admit it was impressive so uh there's a video of it if you guys want to go see it it's at brian estes 77 um oh it's bryson excuse me i I was saying brian it's bryson estes so b-r-y-s-o-n-e-s-t-e-s estes so if you guys want to see that video at brian estes 77 he's just flinging 350 like it's no big deal three times in a row you know and what what is that your average defensive lineman's like 300 pounds if i'm not mistaken in the power five generally maybe three five three oh five um so yeah if he can if he can fling around those defensive uh linemen from other schools i would be super happy because we obviously need to to win those trench wars from the offensive line a little bit more so hey hopefully he, he hopefully he just comes jacked up you know and this is a uh this is a rare extra little extra thing I want to add here. There's a kid called Cameron Scott. I think he, uh, from what I read, he might be in the 2020, uh, 2022 class, but dude just looks, I, I hope we get him. He just recently put out a tweet not too long ago of, uh, of an edit from FSU talking about, uh, Mike Norvell, you know, a little iPhone, um, iPhone with a Mike Norvell message from him, uh, from Mike Norvell, I guess it's some kind of FSU edit they're doing, or maybe it's somebody else's edit, but the reason I bring it up is because Cameron was uh, was very excited about that. Like he he liked that edit. So obviously we're talking to him. He's starting to get a lot of offers. Dude looks like a freaking bodybuilder as an offensive lineman. So he would be an interesting prospect. I think he's a three star right now. But I mean it's 2022, so I generally don't even talk about 2022. I, I find it find it highly irrelevant because you know it's like two years out so they're not even you know what i mean so but he he looks really 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 interesting i think i think he could be a really good offensive lineman if he you know if he's got his technique and stuff down he just he just looks like one of those guys that just push people around with the, the biggest of ease he, he looks like he belongs in a strongman circus but anyway guys that's all i have for today throat's getting a little <laughs> a little dry um we're already at 42 minutes um i hope in the future you know people start listening to these and i can start crafting my episodes to what people like what they don't like uh you know i really appreciate the people that uh, that have listened and i can't wait to to really get into this and really find my groove I really, really like doing this, and I, I'm really super passionate about uh, FSU. Problem is, there's a thousand different podcasts just like mine, so I have to find my niche. Got to find the way I want to do it. Got to find my personality. Uh, so, if you're listening to this and you have some, you know, some, uh, some criticism, some, some things that you know that you would like to, to say to help 
you know, make the show better, that would be amazing. Uh, if you got nothing but hateful comments, hey, you know, live your life, do what you got to do. Tell me that too, I guess. Uh, but anyway, again, thank you very much. This is John Void from Noel and Void, and we will catch you later.